You can be seated this morning. We've got a great morning for you today. Thank you for coming out to our second service. If you're new with us, my name is Chris Pate, and I am the lead pastor here. I'm very excited to be with you. We've, we're doing kind of a one-off message today. We'll be going into a new sermon series next week. But today, really felt in the, in the midst of everything going on to talk about what it means to be fearless. If you have watched the news or know what's going on, I'm actually glad to see this many fearless people here. And fearless has kind of two connotations here, being fearless, being bold, going after, I'm fearless, I'm going after things, but also fearing less. Because this, this spirit of fear, this physical, like tangible fear you can feel in our culture comes from all the bad news that we just hear constantly. Between the 24-hour news cycle social media, maybe your own jobs and the problems and the bad news you get, or your family and the problems and the bad news you get. We just constantly have bad news coming our way where we get into decision fatigue through digital anxiety and we know more than we probably should and most of it is bad news. Most of it is just, you're gonna die if you do this, you're gonna die if you touch that, be six feet from everybody. And listen, although we want to be a people that are fearless, we are not careless. So in this place, I mean, we do have the things, wash your hands, please. It's kind of sad that all the hand soap is gone. It's like, what were people doing before, you sickos? <laughs> Can't find hand sanitizer ever. I mean, it's like crazy. We don't want to be careless, but we don't walk in fear either. And we don't allow the fear and the bad news to consume us, to perpetuate this fear with causes, which causes ultimately isolation, withdrawal, escapism. And it feeds that monster that's already in us. When we are in a world at war, isolation is the worst thing you can do to be overcomers. Instead, building the type of community that in the midst of bad news, we can move forward. But we're used to bad news. It's almost like the Chinese water torture anymore because it's always there. If you know Chinese water torture, they like sit you back and they drop just water on you, but it goes back this way. So it not only after a while makes you crazy, drop, 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 but it never refreshes you as you die of thirst because it's going out that way. So emotionally, mentally, physically, it's wearing you down. And is that not our culture with fear? If you remember this picture, our Homeland Security Advisory System back in 2001, 9-11 days when all that took place and terrorism, we were afraid and running and trying to figure out what to do, our wonderful nation decided we're gonna construct this very confusing, very fearful, five color coded way for people to know in our world. Do you might remember this? People to know, some of you, are, like it's crazy to think some of you weren't even born 9-11 now, but here we are, right? And so they constructed this so they could like put this, flash this on the screen so you would know for travel purposes, for different things, you would know how fearful to be, really. The first one you see is red. Here's how fearful you'd be. We have a severe risk of terrorist attack. 
You've got orange, a high risk of terrorist attack. You've got yellow, a significant risk of terrorist attack. And then in blue, it's, you're guarded. It's a general risk of terrorist attack. So like if you're heading to the subway, you might die, but hey, it's all good, go to work. Get on the bus, get in your car, and then green, a low risk of terror attack. What they realized by 2009 that this was actually not helpful at all. And so by 2010, but in 2009, they're saying, let's just get rid of the blue and the green. By 2010, they said, we need to get rid of all of it. And Representative Benny G. Thompson said this, the old color-coded system taught Americans to be scared, not prepared. Each and every time the threat level was raised, very rarely did the public know the reason, how to proceed, or for how long to be on alert. So instead of being a device to help us, it just brought more and more fear because you're going, what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? What is it, yellow, orange, like where are we? And I'm just afraid constantly. And you could feel it and the tension in the air, and today we don't even use these like this anymore because you don't even need it because you just hear it constantly. Be afraid. Don't go on the street. You better elbow bump people. Don't even fist bump anymore. Just elbow bump because you don't even know what's going to happen, and this fear perpetuates. Here's the deal. We were born in a world at war. And to think that we're never going to have anything to fear. See, fear is not bad in and of itself. In some ways, it's a protection mechanism. And people think of like faith and being fearless means you don't have any fear. And that's not true. Faith is not the absence of fear. But dealing with it and having a greater fear of something else to keep you moving in the midst of the fear that's just in the ether, that's just out there. In fact, in scripture, according to Scott Hubbard, he wrote this, this was beautiful. He said, bad news burdens all of God's people, no matter how righteous. Joseph, for instance, tasted the pain of hope deferred from a pit in the wilderness to an Egyptian prison. Job felt bad news fall on his head like breakers, his cattle, then his kids, and then even his own skin. John the Baptist heard whispers of a beheading as the guards approached his cell, and Jesus himself listened to his own people shout, crucify him. See, in this world, we will have trouble. Don't let anybody give you some alternative idea. God has not promised you a storm-free life. And if anybody stands on a pulpit or preaches the Bible and says, come to Jesus and everything's just good and hokey-dokey and everything's great, what Bible are you reading? He doesn't offer you a storm-free life, but he does offer you a storm-proof life. You prepare for the storm, and in the midst of the storm, you stare it down. I want you to open your Bible today to Psalm 112. It'll be on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible with you. And I want to consider today these 10 verses as a portrait of the man who fears the Lord. See, with this man and what we're about to read, bad news doesn't harden this person into cynicism. You know people like this. They just don't believe for anything anymore because it's safe 
to be in like my little box where I just don't trust because I've been hurt so much. Bad news doesn't harden him in the sin. This doesn't numb him into apathy and just I don't care anymore or frighten him into isolation. But ultimately, his response is you cannot be afraid of bad news. Let's read this together. Psalm 112. The psalmist writes, praise the Lord. Another word, hallelujah, the highest form of praise. First of all, God gets the glory. No matter if there's darkness, no matter if there's storms, praise the Lord. I can sing in the rain. And then he says this, blessed or happy to be, to be envied, prosperous. And we all want to be truly happy. He says, here it is, blessed, happy is the man who fears the Lord who greatly delights in his commandments or his words, his instruction like a father to a son, teaching him the ways of life. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in what? The darkness. For the upright, he is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously. He's still generous. And lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Come on. Any, any men in here? Come on. He has distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn or his strength is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. You ever see somebody when you're smiling in the midst of the storm and people are like mad at you for it? The wicked man, he gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. In 10 verses, the portrait of the blessed man who fears not the calamity, the circumstances, the overwhelming bad news that does come his way, but fears the Lord. That's the truly happy man is what's depicted in the scripture. What does complete happiness include? You could see this in the scripture. The first thing, thinking of happiness and true prosperity isn't just money, but the first is a familial prosperity. 
their children will be successful. You know this, fathers, mothers, when you have your child and they do something good, even if nobody else, like they bring that crayon, ugly thing of their hand, that's a turkey, and you're putting it on Facebook, like, this is the greatest thing ever, move over, Michelangelo, and everybody else is like, Uh, There's something about the father and the mother heart of seeing their child be successful and do something right. That is a blessed person. Having your kids and your family move on from what you're doing and seeing them success and launching them forward. In our church, this is why we love campus ministry and our youth and children. If you were here last night with our night of worship, our youth come up here and they're worshiping and praising. Why do we value that? Because we love launching them further than I could ever go. See, I broke the chains of divorce in my family in order to have a new tree, a new wine, a new wineskin in my family to say, kids, this is what it's like to fear God. And we're starting a new tree with a blessed life, a happy life, not in the fear of failure, but in the fear of the Lord. It's a family happiness and prosperity. We all want happiness. Another, we see this in verse three, financial prosperity. They themselves will be wealthy. They will be wealthy because you see, An emotional prosperity. There's something that happens emotionally when you're strong and fortified and not moved by every wind and every fear. It will build in your life family structure and financial structure because you're not moved by everything. Because emotionally, it says they are confident. This man or woman, this figure of someone blessed They're confident and fearless. And finally, spiritual happiness or prosperity. Their good deeds will last forever. What you do for God lasts forever. What you do for you will die with you. This is the picture of a blessed, truly happy person And it starts, Scripture says, with praise, but with those who fear the Lord. Who who can be truly happy and blessed like this? Even in the midst of storms and bad news and all the stuff, who can but the person who fears the Lord? See, you're going to fear something. All of us are fragile. All of us are weak. If you don't think you're weak, right, the older you get, the more weak you realize you are. Like you come to church, you're like, oh, my back hurts. Be like, well, what happened? Well, I just turned over in my bed really funny, right, Eric Stevens? Like I just, I don't know what happened. I heard you laugh. I had to call you out, bro. I love you. I've done that, but I'm like, what's that? I just, I turned really quick and my body was like, nope, nope, not happening. We are fragile people. And yet we try to come across so strong, yet one word, one thing, one circumstance, one bad news, and we are plummeted because we fear that more than we fear the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? It's not being careless, as we said. 
It's fearing less, fearing all of this stuff and all of these people and things less than I fear God. Now, some people say, well, you shouldn't fear God. God's love, he is love. Love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Yes, this is true. But there is a reverence, a revering of God, knowing and recognizing that he is greater than me. That's a healthy fear. That is a wise fear, like the lion tamer that knows that lion sits a cub, can interact with it. You've seen the guys like on YouTube, like fighting with lions, and yet there's a healthy fear that you don't go there because they could take you out. The scripture depicts God not as just my homeboy and my friend and we just tight. But he is also sovereign in God and he sees everything. So even in the midst of what I see today and the fears that are coming at me, I look at him and I fear him greater. And I know he knows every hair on my head, even the ones that are missing. He knows every thought that I have. He has a plan. He is not right now in your life chewing his fingernails going, well, I wasn't ready for that. He is sovereign. He's knowing And even in the midst of the storm, he doesn't leave you alone. But as you walk with him, he walks with you through it. And he's trying to establish and build certain muscles and faith within you to trust in him. Proverbs 8.13 explains another dimension of the fear of the Lord. And it says this, the fear of the Lord is, we know, equal sign. What is the fear of the Lord? Hatred of evil. Not what I call evil as I make up my own morality, but ultimately what God calls evil, not the person necessarily. He never cursed a person even in the Garden of Eden, but he cursed the ground and the things around because that's the effects of the fall. And so now he calls certain things evil and our hatred of it and aligning with God saying, yes, that is evil, including fearing people, man, women, what someone can do to me as Jesus says, don't fear those that can kill the body, but fear the one ultimately that can cast your whole soul into hell and judgment. Fear the one, fear his ways in a healthy, good way and hate that sin. Not the sinner, but that sin. You know you're walking in the fear of the Lord when you're exposing and loving the truth of God. As the Bible would say, love believes the best in everybody, but it also rejoices when truth reigns. There's a love for God's ways, which is his will. And he says, this pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. See, we all have experienced bad news, bad things happening, coming our way. We hear it all the time, just like we said earlier with Joseph and John the Baptist, Job and Jesus himself. But here's the flip side of the sovereignty of God as he pins your story with the ups and the downs to trust in him and not in man. As Scott Hubbard continues to say, Joseph's painful imprisonment gives way 
to an appointment as prime minister. Job's misery simmers for 30-some chapters, then breaks forth into a new family and fortune. John the Baptist's beheading transfers him from prison to paradise, and the bad news of Good Friday entombs the Son of God only to have the stone roll away on Easter morning. God knows what he's doing and he's with you through and in the storm. Fear him and trust him more than what you see around, than that fear that you feel but even maybe don't see. I think ultimately this Psalm 112, though, doesn't just give us a picture of, yeah, I got to do better, I've got to attain, and I got to do these things. But I see Psalm 112, and I see something that no one can do. No one's going to be eternally righteous and forever perfect and giving in the midst of sorrow and not fearing and face forward no one but Jesus. Psalm 112, I think, gives us the picture of Jesus. Verse four, Jesus is gracious and merciful. Not only that, he's the only one that truly feared God and hated anything not of God and walked that out perfectly. So you and I, as we're looking at our sin and say, I could never do that. He says, I know that's why I became God to do it for you. Jesus has a righteousness that never fails. One, 12, three, and nine. Jesus acts with justice for all. That's what the cross is, is fulfilling the justice of God, showing that our sin was so bad, God can't just wipe it, but it's so bad it had to be atoned for, had to be covered, and that's what Jesus did, fulfilling the justice, but also at the same time, grace and justice and grace kiss at the cross. And we see the Psalm 112, happy, blessed, A man full of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Isaiah would say, but also in Hebrews was anointed with the oil of joy, happiness more than anybody that's ever walked this earth. The happiest person, the most generous person, and he will be remembered on into the future forever, eternity. And listen, he didn't just do that so now we can go, thanks, Jesus, but so that we can go, you paved the way so now I can walk in Psalm 112 and be that man or woman today as well. I could set my face like flint even in the midst of the tragedy and the casualties and the problems and the storms and the dark clouds coming and the rain coming, I could set forward and say, Because Jesus paid the way, Jesus is now with me. Let's go. Let's do this. I will not fear bad news. Psalm 112 verse 1 starts with this man praising the Lord. Hallelujah. And it's that singing. Hallelujah. I think God loves it the most when we sing hallelujah. Not after we got that million dollar lottery ticket. But in the midst of the storm and the things I don't understand, when I say praise you anyway, because I know you got a plan. You're going to see me through this. You're building something in me. I have to trust you and not trust what I see or what I'm feeling, but what I know and who I know, the trust of the Lord. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7. Paul's writing to Timothy, and you're familiar with this verse. I can't not talk about fear, not talk about this verse, because Paul writes to Timothy, and Timothy is afraid of man and things around him because he's a young leader. And And Paul says this, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame that spark that needs oxygen. You've got to do that work. 
that gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. So many people are just waiting for God to move or it makes some internal joy or resilience in our life. And God's saying, I've already done that in you. I've already done that through you. And now you fan it into flame. You push it forward. You stir the sugar out of the bottom of the tea. Get it all in everything and move forward. And he says this, why? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but here's what he's given us. Power, power to overcome sin. Love, love that is our motivator that conquers all and of self-control or a sound mind. God says, I've given you a new way to think and a new way to react where you can go through anything, not because you're alone, but because I'm with you. I was thinking about this as I was writing this message this week and God dropped in my heart a spoken word yesterday that I wrote down as I was looking at how similar fear and faith are. Many of us say, I don't know how to have faith in God and yet, do you know how to worry? It's the same thing but the opposite, different objective. Worry is, oh my gosh, I don't want to go outside because I could get the coronavirus. Did you just sneeze? And if I get the coronavirus, then I'll probably be, I'll be the one, of course, that dies. Of course, that's just my luck. And listen, you don't even have anything. You haven't even left your house yet, yet your worry has already caused you to isolate, perpetuating fear, and you haven't done anything. That's called faith. You don't see it, and yet you're walking in it as if you have it. If you know how to worry, you know how to have faith. The difference is your object faith in death, faith in God, who even if death comes will resurrect me on the last day. This makes you a no fear here person. So I wrote this, fear. I can't see you, I can't hear you, but I feel you. I'm led by you to fill a dread, a doubt, a blind sense of without, without hope or movement, no instructions included. I just know that I know you're real, more real because I feel it creeping and crawling, not calling, but stalling, keeping me still and dissolving. I'm steadily withdrawing from my hopes and dreams. Ambition, it seems, has unraveled at the seams while threading the lies it weaves into every fabric of my being. In a while, I'll feel better as the sun starts to come out with fair weather, but I'll brace for the clouds that inevitably come out and await their arrival like a preacher awaits revival. I hear the wind, here it comes, just a drop and I stop. I knew it would come again. When it rains, it pours, so grab my fins. I dive deeper within this time and time again, wearing me out, maybe that's the plan. But I feel you, don't see you, don't taste you, don't hear you. I expect you and come near you in my heart, truly revere you, fear. What is it that I hear trust and do not fear? But revere the one, this one, who calms the storms and stills the sun. I hear him calling like a lost love or voice in the far distance, calling, fear not, fear not. 
but if I don't fear, I am not. It's all I've known my whole life. I expect it to arrive right on time, every time without measure, like a Chick-fil-A server calling my pleasure. Fear not. These words start to ring true like I was never meant to construe fear. From the very beginning with Adam and Eve not repenting and hiding and shaming each other for behaving unworthy, unbecoming of their dignity, born freely and crafted neatly by the one who knows no fear, the one to truly revere. I hear you. Don't see you, can't touch you, but feel you. My senses renewed by the words of your mouth speaking truth. Fear not, said in your scripture some 365 times. For my pictures to be changed in my head from fear to faith to wonder and grace. Walking with head held high because you mastered this place. Though darkness will come, take heart, I've overcome the darkness with light. I won the fight and own the night to remind you I'm right. From the beginning, walking in the garden, fearless, tearless, honored through nearness. I can see you, I can hear you, and I now can more closely than fear feel you. Fear? Fear of the Lord. Fear of man and people and calamity. Faith and trust in a holy, sovereign, loving God. Will you pray with me? Father, make us a people that are fearless. Make us a people that are not afraid even to walk in darkness because you light our path. Make us a people that know with new wine skin and new wine that we're never alone. I want to give just 30 seconds if you're in here and you have felt that overwhelming sense of fear and anxiety even just this week. Will you raise your hand? Just be honest. Thank you. Hands all around. I pray for you Lord, that your word says my righteous ones are as bold as lions because we trust in the righteous one that conquered the darkness with light, that conquered the hate with love, that conquered the fear with the fear of the Lord from a loving God, Lord, instill and empower them not to use the power they have for fear and worry, but to use the power they have for faith and trust. In Jesus' name, amen.